Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Today, uh, I'm going to take you in a little bit different direction. So grab the Bible and uh, head over to Matthew chapter 25 with us this morning. Now, let me just tell you, we've been working our way through a series entitled Unleashed. We've been taking a look at spiritual gifts. And uh, if you have not been here, if you haven't gotten one of these booklets, they're back here on the table. I want to encourage you to make sure you grab one of these and start going through it. And let me tell you why. This is uh, like your own personal guide to discover your spiritual gifts and uh, to figure out where you can get plugged in to start exercising those within the body of Christ. I don't want you to miss out on this because today we're taking a break from this. We're going to do something a little bit different. And uh, so I, I don't want this to stop, though. I want you to continue on this path and on this journey because we're, we'll kick it back off again next week. We'll jump right back into the spiritual gifts and keep going. But today, we're going to take a break from this, and I'll tell you why. Uh, as your lead pastor, uh, I, may, I called an audible. And uh, I feel like today was a good day for it. And the reason for it, uh, several reasons. First of all, it's Labor Day weekend. We know that for many churches on Labor Day weekend, attendance is down a little bit. We know that uh, for most churches, like we probably won't see a whole lot of first-time guests today. And so what that means is I'm speaking to our group, our family this morning. So it makes it easy because I don't have to worry about first-time guests you know, taking something that I, that I say today uh, a little bit differently. You guys know where I'm coming from. You know me uh, I know you, and so we can talk frankly today. Is that, does that make sense? Okay, so I'm going to preach a little bit today. And um, here's, here's another reason why. Because if you look at the calendar, you'll realize that next Sunday is September the 11th. It's the 21st anniversary of uh, that, that horrible event, uh, the Pentagon, um, you know, the, the World Trade Center, the, the field in Pennsylvania. We lost almost 3,000 people on that day. Uh, it marked our history. Um, because we have a group of people in the world that hate what America stands for. Um, You'll also know that um, in a couple of months, we have elections coming up. And we already have a lot of people coming and talking to us and going, hey, um, you know, I'm really worried about our country. It seems like things are spiraling out of control. Things are going in the wrong direction. We're already starting to have conversations. We're feeling the heat kind of rise a little bit. Anxiety starting to go up with many people. And so we always, as pastors, we spend a lot of time talking to people and going, hey, um, our faith is not in elected officials. And, and it was interesting this morning, Pastor Mike shared with our volunteer team, we get together at 8 o'clock every Sunday after everything's set up and ready for you to come in. And all of our volunteers gather up and we pray together and, and sometimes we'll share something with them. And Pastor Mike this morning shared this out of scripture. And he says, look, if you start at the beginning of the Bible and the very end of the Bible, and you just go all the way to the center of the Bible, the very center of the Bible is Psalm 118 verse 9. And it says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. And if that isn't a perfect uh, verse for us this morning, 
this idea that our trust is not in elected officials, it's not in presidents or state representatives, it's in God and God alone. And so I want you to keep that as our foundation this morning as I talk, okay? Because I want to challenge you on two levels today. I want to challenge you on the level of, first of all, being Christians, being believers, disciples of Jesus Christ, that desire with word and action to bring glory and honor to God in everything that we do. And then the other level that I want to challenge you on today, and this is just a blessing. This is not, you didn't decide it, I didn't decide it. We, we just are blessed to live in a free country to be Americans, And so I want to speak to you today about our role as Christian Americans, what our role and responsibility is. And I've entitled this message today, One Nation Under God, with a question mark. Because I think we can make an argument that that's no longer the case. Um, If you know your history, you know 1938 was a big year. A lot of things started in 1938. It was the beginning of what would eventually become World War II. And what happened is uh, Hitler had taken power in Germany. He started his Nazi regime, and they began to march into Czechoslovakia. And they took over a whole section of Czechoslovakia, which was a big red flag to the rest of the world. And people began to get really nervous about what was coming. And, and some people reasoned it and said, well, you know, that was land that was taken away from Germany after World War I, and so they, they have right to it. So, so we ought to just go ahead and let them have that. And then what ended up happening is uh, Neville Chamberlain, who was the prime minister of Great Britain at the time, set up a meeting with Hitler. They met in Munich in 1938, and they began to talk um, some peace talks. They began some peace talks. And the idea, I think, for the prime minister was hopefully to stop things before it got any worse. But history shows that at this meeting, and, and uh, Chamberlain here is on your left, Chamberlain compromised everything. Like he just, he just gave him everything that he wanted. Some historians think that it was because he was afraid to stand up to Hitler. Others believe that he was trying, he was playing the only card that he had because he knew in that moment that no one could stand against the Nazi military. Like, Germany was the powerhouse, and, and even Great Britain, there was nothing they could do to stop them. And, and Chamberlain was, was conceding everything in hopes that he would just stop where he was at, and it would lead uh, to, um, you know, they would, they would just be content, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't try to take over more, or it wouldn't lead to more war. And history, as you guys know, um, it didn't go that way. It actually went the other way. This, this compromise actually emboldened Hitler. And he went on to seize the rest of Czechoslovakia. And then he started making demands on Poland, which is exactly what led us into World War II. The reason I bring this up is to say this. I think as individuals and as, as a nation, the United States of America, I'm afraid that we too often resemble Neville Chamberlain and um, we are making too many compromises, especially when dealing with sin dealing with evil that's all around us and, and what's, what's happening within our country today. The fact is this. Evil is real and sin is all around us. The problem is, as Christians, is we bought into a lie that says as believers, we are to love everyone, you have to be quiet, you can't speak up, you can't call wrong wrong, and you can't say what is right is right. And so, therefore, we are forced to withdraw and to be silent. And I think we've made a big mistake. And so today, I want to challenge you, like I said, not only on the level of being a Christian, 
but being uh, in the role and responsibility of a Christian American. I think there's something we need to be doing, and I think there are things we can do. I want to show you a parable that I think hopefully will take some root in our hearts today, especially as it relates to our role and responsibility as Christian Americans. And so um, today we're in Matthew chapter 25, but I have to kind of explain to you what happens in chapter 24 before we get to our parable, because it's a very interesting story. Jesus is in the temple. He and his disciples, and they're, they're doing their religious duties. They've, they've you know, done what they needed to do, and they're walking out of the temple. And as they walk out of the temple, they're admiring the beauty of Jerusalem, the temple, how uh, magnificent it is. And this is where God's presence dwells. And, and they're just admiring everything. And Jesus makes an interesting comment. He says, I tell you the truth, they will completely be destroyed. And what he says is um, the whole temple, everything's going to come down. And he says not a single stone will be left on top of the other. That's how demolished this is going to get. Now, for the Jews, this is very disturbing because these disciples were raised in the Jewish faith. They're good Jewish men. And they're like, how can you say that? Like, this is our temple. This is where God resides. And this is where we make our sacrifices. How in the world can you say that, that all this is going to be demolished? Now, if you know your history, you know, you know, 70 AD, everything's going to be wiped out just as Jesus told them. But in this moment, they can't, they can't even fathom a day would ever come like that. Kind of like you and I, we, we take our freedom, our religious freedoms for granted. We can't ever imagine a day where that would change. And maybe some of us are starting to see the start of some of that if we're not careful, Right? And so what ends up happening is Jesus takes his disciples and they, they leave the temple and they go through the eastern gate and they go down through the valley and they go up the other side and they find themselves up on the top of this hill and, and this hill, it's called the Mount of Olives. And it's on the east side of Jerusalem and if you get to go in, in March, you'll get to sit right where we're at here. And uh, my wife and I were sitting here taking this video and, and it overlooks the Kidron Valley and it looks over Jerusalem and that, that dome right there is actually where the temple would have been standing. And they're overlooking the beauty of Jerusalem. And the disciples finally say, hey, um, what do you mean? Like everything's going to be destroyed. Everything's going to be wiped out. Not, not one stone will be left on another. And Jesus begins to tell them a series of stories, of parables. And the one I want us to look at this morning that I think has a lot of relevance for us, not only as individuals, but as members of families, as members of communities, of a state, of a nation that I think is blessed by God. We need to pay attention to this particular one. Now, it's a parable called uh, the parable of the three servants, or uh, many of you might know it as the parable of the talents. In our translation of the NLT, it talks about bags of silver is what it uses. And so I want us to take a look at this and see what we can draw out of it. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, are you there? It says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Look at this. Dividing it in proportion to their what? Abilities. Now, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about spiritual gifts. God has given us special abilities, special gifts, He wants to use them within the body of Christ. But I think um, as believers, we've been given some special gifts. God has blessed us tremendously. And it wasn't for us. 
It was to be a blessing to the world around us as well. He goes on to say that he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for how they used, the mo- used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. Look at his response. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's go celebrate. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's go celebrate. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, Here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvest crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And it ends with this. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about politics. I'm not taking a political view on this. I don't have to. Uh, And I know some of you are already on edge. Just the fact I said that. Because we have, we bought in that lie that as Christians we can't bring our faith into, um, you know, standing up for what is right, um, into the way we see the world around us and what we want to see out of our country. And I know so often that the, the question is this, when it comes to the leadership of our country and politics, should churches be engaged? Should they be engaged or should they not? And I think absolutely they should be. But yet, we've been backed into a corner and we've been told that you can't engage. You shouldn't engage. Now, let me tell you why I think that we should be engaged. Because when it comes to worldviews, there's only two of them. Uh, When it comes to to value systems, there's only two. That's it. You can make an argument for others, but I'm just going to tell you there's only two. Um, Here's the two. You ready? It's what I think is right, or what you think is right, and what God says is right. Those are the only two worldviews. That's it. It's what God says is right. And I know some of you, you struggle because you have been told uh, that, that America is, is a secular nation. And America was founded 200 years ago with the idea, and all you have to do is just go and, and look at the Capitol, read the documentation. What you find out is our founding fathers understood that there were only two worldviews, and they believed 200 years ago that it was a great idea if a country was founded on God's worldview, on his value system. And they thought it could work. And they handed it over to the people. And the argument today is, well, no, America wasn't founded on, on biblical views. Um, 
Yeah, it was. Like I said, all you have to do is go to the, go to the Capitol, walk around, look at all the paintings, read the documentation, and it's evident all through. And I know so often when I have this conversation with people, the line that they use so often is, well, no, separation of church and state, right? Separation of church and state. Which, by the way, is in none of our founding documents. You know where that comes from? It was a phrase out of one of the letters that Thomas Jefferson wrote while he was in France to a Baptist church in the States. And he was just trying to summarize what they had written in all the founding documents. He, just, he was using separation of church and state. And get this, it wasn't with the idea that the church should be separated from the state. He was making the statement that the state should have nothing to do with the church. Why? Because they had just left Great Britain where England had established a national religion. And he was saying, look, we are not going to do that. The, the state should not dictate the religion of the people. They should stay out of it, not the other way around. And somehow, after 200 years, it's been twisted around to where we think now that the church shouldn't have a say in the state. Actually, the Constitution, when you read through it, it acknowledges God. And not only God, but the fact that He has given us all of our rights. And we even see it in the Declaration of Independence. And I just want to read a phrase, just one phrase to you. And you probably know it already. We hold these truths to be what? Self-evident. You know what that means? I shouldn't even have to read this. Like you should just know it. Everyone knows that this is true. What? That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their what? Creator with certain unalienable what? Rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Have you ever really read through that? That's what it says. That you're created by God. And because you are created by God, you are valuable. Because you have God's thumbprint on you. Imago Dei, you were created in His image. And because of that, not only are you valuable, but you have rights. And it doesn't just say rights, it says unalienable rights. You know what that means? That means that our rights cannot be taken away by any earthly um, authority because it wasn't given by any earthly authority. It means the Constitution is confirming that, that our, we have fundamental rights that are not privileges endowed upon us by some guy, some person in office, but it was given to us by our God, God Almighty. That's it. They can't be taken away by somebody who didn't give them to you. God gave them to you. They're unalienable. They're yours. Now, none of the founding fathers ever entertained the idea that there would be a separation of religion from public life or that you would take your faith and you would separate it from politics. They never thought that. They actually taught the opposite. When they talked about what they had established, they said, look, this can only survive if it's built upon a moral people. Without morals, this will fail. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing today. Now, you want more examples, all you have to do is take a look at Article 6. Article 6 actually says that there is a ban on religious tests when it comes to public office, which means if you run for office, um, if you say, hey, I'm a Muslim or I'm a Jew or I'm a Christian or whatever, it doesn't matter. They can't keep you from run, running for public office because your religion is your religion. And it doesn't matter what you pick, the government can't tell you which one it's going to be. And they can't discriminate against you because of that. Um, the First Amendment actually says that, that uh, it forbids the enactment of any law respecting an establishment of a religion. Again, going back to the, the Church of England, right? The government can't establish a national religion. It also goes on to say, or uh, prohibiting the free exercise thereof. It can't keep people from worshiping whatever God they want to or being part of whatever religion they want to be. Now, I know for some of you, this can be confusing because you were told that America was a, de a democracy. You know what a democracy is, right? It's where the majority rules. 
where you take a vote and who, whatever the majority of the people say, that's, that's what you do, right? We're not a democracy. I don't know if you know this or not, but democracy is nowhere in any of our founding documentation. We are not a democracy. Um, we are not a democracy because our rights weren't given to us by the majority. Does that make sense? Our rights were given to us by God, and, and our founding fathers made it very clear that our rights come from God and nobody else. God is the one who gives us life and liberty and, and not some majority, not some government structure, not some elected official. Um, Psalm 33 says it this way. What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as an as inheritance. Uh, some of your translations say, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You wonder why we've had such good success for almost 200 years? It's because we were founded on Christian principles. Um, a great example of democracy, it, for those of you that think we should be a democracy, I think is Rwanda. Uh, if you know the story about Rwanda, Rwanda was made up of 80% Hutu and 20% Tutsi, two different sects of people. And you know what they did? They're a democracy. They took a vote and the 80% decided they needed to wipe out the 20%. And within 90 days, they killed over a million people with machetes. That's a democracy for you. I don't think you want a democracy. See, we are not a democracy. We're a democratic republic. Big difference. Democratic republic is where we elect people to do certain things and mainly to uphold the foundations of our country, to support the, the biblical principles that we were founded on. And we know as Christians that this is important because righteousness exalts a nation. We know that sin, what is sin? Sin is anything that separates us from God. It tears down a nation. It works as individuals. It works as families. It works as communities. It works as a nation. Um, this is the way God has, has structured it. Proverbs chapter 22 or 29 says, when the godly are in authority, the people what? But when the wicked are in power, they, they groan. Um, anyone been groaning a lot lately? You wonder why? Is there any wonder why we're in the boat that we're in right now? Because believers have backed away. Uh, America has been a Christian nation for a very long time. And that doesn't mean that everyone in the nation was a Christian. It just means we were founded on Christian principles and those things over, uh, were overarching over everything that we did as a nation. And we became, over time, the peacemaker of the world. We became the lighthouse of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. We became the, the beacon of freedom for the rest of the world. We became the model, the standard for the rest of the world. And people lean into us for that. The rest of the world, if you go to the rest of the world and ask them what would happen if America fell today, there's, there's devastation. They, they fear that. Um, it's interesting to me that uh, I was talking to um, someone here recently and they were telling me a story about how a lot of our former representatives, a lot of our former sen uh, senators that are Christians maintain uh, contact with with the Senate, with the, with the House of Representatives. They continue to meet and, and they... they sponsor things like the day of prayer. They continue to try to keep Jesus at the focus of everything that's going on at the national level. And, and something amazing happened back in the 90s when 
when the old Yugoslavia fell apart, if you remember the war of the Balkans, this is where Yugoslavia split into all these different nations. War broke out. It was all these older commanders and, and uh, these army leaders that went in and began this war. They began to fight with each other. Why? I don't know, because they just, they've always fought. They've always hated each other. I don't know if they could even tell you why. But they, they started these wars, and they began to kill each other off right through the 90s. And for about a three-year period, all these older commanders were wiping each other out. And here's what was interesting. What you saw happen was they were being replaced by these 40-somethings that were coming into office, and they started asking the question, is this really the right thing to do? Like, I know we've been killing each other for a lot of years, but really, is this the best way to handle this? And what it did is it opened the door for America to step in, and a lot of these, these former senators, representatives, started going over and trying to teach them that Jesus had a better plan for them. And actually, they implemented a prayer group in every one of those parliaments. That actually remains today. They still meet and still pray with them monthly. And get this, every year, all of those parliaments send those groups of people together to one place. This last year, it was in Romania. They gather together, and they spend an entire day. It's usually over Memorial Day weekend. They'll spend an entire day in prayer together for all those nations. And what I find fascinating is that this, uh, this former senator was telling us that they'll do it as long as there's Americans there. But if Americans aren't there, they're not going to meet. And the reason is because they trust us. They don't trust each other. You want to talk about a responsibility. You want to talk about a role of leadership, not just in a national sense, but in a, in a worldwide sense. Why? Because America is the lighthouse of the gospel. It's a standard of righteousness for the entire world. America has been blessed for over 200 years. And I would actually add to this, I would say America has been blessed to be a blessing for over 200 years. If you just think about the stats and what's going on, I think you can see God's hand behind all of this. Do you realize that as Americans, we make up 4% of the population of the world? 4%, that's it. And yet we have produced more books, more plays, more copyrights, more inventions than the other 96% of the world combined. Why is that? Is that because we're smarter? No. Is it because we work harder? (laughs) Absolutely not. Just travel the globe. People work a lot harder than we do here. Then why is that? You know why? Because we're blessed by God. He has blessed us with a freedom. People in this country, we are more free understanding that our freedom comes from God and not from some person or from a government or from some elected official. And so we experience our freedom differently. That 4%, the Americans, they produce more Nobel Peace Prize winners than the other 96% of the world combined. Is it because we're Americans? No. Because if you take a look at all the American Nobel Peace Prize winners, 50% of them weren't even born in the United States. They immigrated here. So did they all of a sudden just get smarter because they came to the States? No. You know what happened? They experienced freedom. They experienced the blessing of God to be living in a free country. That's why they came here in the first place. And freedom creates abundance. Um, Do you realize that half of the world lives on less than $2 a day? And half of that lives on less than $1 a day. And here in America, we have a level which we will not allow anybody to sink past. Like, we don't, we don't allow anybody to get below this certain level. You can come here legally or illegally, take up residence on a park bench, and we're going to smother you with all these programs. Why? 
Because we still instinctively go, there's value to people. There's value on life. And we don't want you to live lower than a certain level. Now, it's interesting to me, um, when you come here, we'll offer you things like food stamps and education and welfare and health care, even if you're illegal. It's amazing what we do as a nation. Now, there's a big difference between poverty in the United States and poverty in the rest of the world. America is the richest nation ever to grace the face of the earth. You realize that? Why? Because God has blessed us tremendously. You want to talk about bags of silver? What's our role and responsibility with that? The master has given it to us and he he expects us to invest it. We're the richest nation ever. The second one closest to us is actually Western Europe, which is Germany, France, and Great Britain. That's as close as you can get to us. And what's interesting to me is that when you take a look at our poverty level, do you realize that people living in poverty in America are more likely to have a television, a cell phone, air conditioning, and a car? That's what we consider poverty here. And people that live in, a poverty, in poverty in America actually eat more meat and they have more square footage per house than the average person does in Western Europe in the second richest part of the world. You're better off to live in poverty here than anywhere else. So why have we been so blessed? Why are we as Americans just so blessed? I think it's because of the way we were founded, the fact that we were established on godly standards. God had a role in this, the, the formation of this country. Now, I'm not saying that we can't lose it. That's why I decided as a pastor I needed to stand up here today and make this this message, to, to deliver this message today, because here's the other thing. Um, it's Labor Day. We got 9-11 coming up. They got the elections coming up. But also, normally as churches, when we do messages like this, it's like the week of the election, right? We decided this year, let's do it two months out. Why? Because this gives you a challenge. This, this gives you homework, it, it, it spells out our role and responsibility so that you can actually do something about it this year. Do you realize we're giving you a couple of months to do some research, to actually dive into what these elections are going to look like so that you're educated, that you're better prepared when it happens? Um, we can have an impact. An impact. I think it's one of the reasons why Satan has been fighting against this nation ever since the formation. No wonder Satan's trying to tell Christians today, especially those of us living in America, that you can't be involved in politics, that you shouldn't be involved in lawmaking. He's working overtime to divide and conquer one of the greatest lights of the gospel ever. He wants to tear this nation down. Uh, And Satan is a great deceiver, too. He has a great way of selling things. He didn't just come out and tell Eve, you know what, God's a liar and you you shouldn't listen to him. He didn't say that. He appealed to her senses. He said, look, it'll make you wise. It'll make you like God. Satan wants to tear this nation down because it is the lighthouse for the gospel. We spend so much money furthering the gospel around the world, not just here in the States, but around the world. If you take all the money that the other 96% of the world um, spent on furthering the gospel last year and you multiply it five and a half times, it still doesn't come out to as much as the 4% as Americans spent last year to further the gospel. No wonder Satan wants to tear this nation down. And Abraham Lincoln actually said it years ago. He said that America, if it was ever to fall, it was going to have to come from within. 
So let me ask you, if you were going to tear America down, how would you do it? What would you do if you were going to tear this nation down? Let me just tell you what I would do. First of all, um, I'd get rid of God. Because if you can get rid of God, you can devalue life. Because all of a sudden, life no longer is made in the image of God. You can devalue life. That would be the first step. The second step for me would be to take down the Ten Commandments. I'd rip that out because that's God's laws. That's, that's his direction and guidance for a nation, not just people, but for a nation. It was given to the nation of Israel, right? And here we had it, and what did you see? They started ripping them out of everywhere. Why? Because it represents God's direction. Listen to me. You can't promote LGBTQ if you have thou shalt not commit adultery on the wall. You can't do it. You've got to get rid of God, and you've got to get rid of the Ten Commandments. Now, there's other steps after that, but I think that's where it starts. And I, and I believe it's time as Christians, because we've just sat back and we've watched all this happen already. Those two things have already happened. Now, I think it's time that we stand up and we start calling right, right, and we start calling wrong, wrong. I think it's time that we take spiritual leadership and we start pushing for people who are righteous in positions of office and influence. I think we take an active role in electing people to office that are going to promote God and his desires for our nation. It's, it's time that we start speaking up and that we start pointing the hearts of, of Americans back to God because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We need to declare God as our King, our Lord, our Savior, and we need to make sure that we lean into the Holy Spirit as the, as the guide for what is right and what is wrong, not somebody else. Now, right now, I think what's going on in the world around us, what's happening in our country, is actually what happens when godly people withdraw from the conversation. I think what we're experiencing right now is what happens when God's people exit public forums and debate. This is what happens. It's just left to whoever wants to step in. And void of Christ, listen to me, Satan steps in so quickly. He will take it over. Now, let me give you a quick example on the impact that you can have if you, if you really question whether you can have an, uh, make a difference or not. Do you realize that the first time that it was ever suggested that a man, if he felt like a woman, if he identified as a woman, that he should be allowed into a woman's bathroom, and actually it was a girl's bathroom because it was a school, the first time that was ever brought up or mentioned was five years ago? That's how quick this has caught on. And you know where it came up? It was by a board member sitting on a school board in Fort Worth, Texas. Do you know that person, in order to get on that board, do you know how many votes they received? 1,089. That's how many votes they got to sit on the board, and then they brought this before an entire school district. In a district that has over 93,000 students, and over 800,000 people within the district. And all they got was 1,000 votes. And here's the kicker. Where that board meets three blocks away is a Christian church that has over 35,000 members. If they were just aware of what was happening, if they just could, would have voted, if they would have stepped up and voiced, if they, would have, if they would have stood up for what was right, they could have had an impact. Now, it's amazing, the bag of silver that God has given 
us as Americans. Do you realize that America, even though we only make up 4% of the population, we have over 40% of the world's goods and resources? I think there's a responsibility that comes with that. See, we're, we are blessed to be a blessing to the world. We have a responsibility to point the rest of the world to Jesus. And I don't think the fight is so much over the party that's in power or the curriculum that we teach as much as it is, are we going to turn our hearts back to God? Will we survive this onslaught, this, this attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are we going to survive it so that we can share the gospel with an unbelieving world? Or will we be silenced? I, re- I really believe that's the battle that's going on right now. See, I already told you that uh, the Prime Minister, Neville Chamberlain, made all these concessions with Hitler. But during that same time, there was another guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was German. He was a Protestant pastor. He was a theologian. And he was a pacifist. He didn't get involved, and he taught not to get involved. Until one day when he decided he needed to go from being a pacifist to an activist. Uh, years later, they would ask his sister, you know, why did he do that? And she said the, he had likened it to her. He said, you know, it's, it's like being a, a passenger in a speeding car that's headed toward a, uh, a play yard with a bunch of children on it. And he said, in that moment, you can't help yourself but try to take control of the vehicle. Dietrich Bonhoeffer went from being a pacifist to an activist, got involved, and he was actually arrested for his involvement of a plot to overthrow Hitler. He would be executed on April 9th, 1945 because of that. He gave his life for a country that he saw going in the wrong direction, but he just waited way too long. But he gave his life for it. Now, my fear is this, that you and I, we like to talk like Diedrich Bonhoeffer, but I think we live lives that resemble Chamberlain more. We need to change things. We need to make a decision that we're going to stand up for what is right. We need to take steps to make sure that in in word and in action that we are bringing about heaven on earth. This is why. Because the judgment of this third servant is so harsh it says, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you had harvested crops, I, if you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops, I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Oh, let me back up one, because this hit me the other day when I was reading over this. But the master replied, you wicked, meaning you're actively doing something against God, and lazy. No. Hands off, no big deal. I'm afraid we're fitting that bill. We need to wake up. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten, gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant, give it to the one with ten bags of silver, to those who use well what they have been, that are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And then it ends with, now throw this useless useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, the parable of the three servants or the parable of the talents isn't about salvation, but it's about how we use our lives, how we use our words, our actions, our work, everything that we have to fulfill God's purposes and to 
respond to our earthly calling, how we fulfill what God is calling us to do. I think as Christians, but as Christians uh, that live in America, we've been given a role and a responsibility to proclaim God in everything that we do, everything that we say. And we've been told in certain forums that we can't speak up, that we have to back away, that we have to keep hands off, that, that we just need to mind our own business. And I think that's a lie. I think it's time that we make up our minds that we're going to have an impact in this world, not because we desire something, but because this is what God would desire. We want to see God move in our country. Now, I think it's a critical time, and I think we need to be faithful. So the question is, how do we do that? What do we need to do? Let me just give you a couple steps, all right? These are not going to surprise you. Ironically, these are things we're supposed to be doing. But I wanted to share them with you. First one is you need to love. You need to love. And we need to love well. We need to love our families and our communities and our, and our state and our, our country. We need to love as well as we can because that's what's going to tell people who we serve. If you've never heard this before, John 13, Jesus said, your love for one another will prove, prove to the world that you are my disciples. We need to love well. Secondly, we need to pray. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our churches. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our leaders. Um, some of you might say, well, we need to pray for God to move. And I would say, absolutely. But my question to you would be this. How does God move? Through his Holy Spirit, through his people. That's how he moves. We have a role and responsibility in this. First uh, Timothy 2 says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks to them. Look at this. Pray this way for what? Kings. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Have you ever caught that before? Do you know you're supposed to be praying for those in authority over you? The problem is it's hard to pray for people that you don't know, isn't it? So part of my challenge to you is this. Um, learn the names of your school board members. Find out who they are. Pray for them. Learn the names of your state representative, state legislator, your, your senator. Pray for your president. Pray for the entire um, government that is, that is over us. Pray that God would be glorified in the decisions that are made. This, this is a question of stewardship and responsibility, and we are instructed to pray for those in authority. We need to be on our knees for our country, not circling around the water cooler and bad-mouthing it. We need to be lifting them up in prayer. We need to love, pray, we need to share. Why? Because our hope is not in men, it's in God. And I think the only way that, that really this, world, this country is going to turn around is by a grassroots movement of people coming to Christ, of the Holy Spirit working in and through his people, I think then and only then are we going to see a nation turn back to God. Our hope is not in people, it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, you and I, we're so blessed. This is how amazing this is, right? Not, not because you decided to be American or I decided to be American. We're just blessed that way. But we have another option, too. Not only do we get to, to love and we get to pray and we get to share, but we also get to vote, I'm not forcing anyone to vote in here, but I'm saying, man, go, vote. It's one of the ways that you make your voice known. And you have two months, so do the research. 
And I would encourage you to elect, if it's possible, righteous people. And if you're like, well, I don't know if they're righteous or not. You know, you can always send them emails or you can call their office. And, and if you don't know what else to do, here's the thing. Ask one question. All you need to ask is, where do you stand on life? That's all you got to ask. And when you ask that question, you're going to find out real quick what type of person they are. And you'll know who you're electing. Because I've heard it said, anyone who devalues life won't hesitate to take your liberties. Just ask them, where do you stand on life? And elect righteous leaders. And I'll tell you why. Because with righteous leaders come righteous law. And that's what we need. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, I'm not here doing doom and gloom today. I actually think that God is at work. I think there's something amazing coming. I think there's great revival around the corner. I think God is going to move in his people. And we're going to see some amazing things. I'm not giving up on America yet. I still think God has plans for to be a lighthouse for the gospel around the globe so that more people will come to know him as their Lord and Savior. I believe that. But I think it starts right here with you and me. Can I, can I just pray for that for us, for our nation? Would you join me in that? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now just as um, Christians first, Lord, but also just blessed to be living in this, uh, this free country. And God, we know that you are still at work. You are still the Lord. And no matter what happens in November, you're still on the throne. And Lord, uh, none of this surprises you. But Lord, I pray that we, uh, we wouldn't take what you've given us and go bury it. But we would invest it. We would do everything we can to influence this world for you. Toward you. That we would glorify you in everything that we do and say. God, we know that you desire no one should perish. And Lord, I believe you have great plans, not just for us and our families and our communities, but in this country as well. And Lord, we look forward to just watching your people move on your behalf of speaking up for what is right. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to do that, but to do it in love, to do it in a way that people don't see us, but they see you. And God, we look forward to what it is that you're doing in and through us. May you unleash your Holy Spirit upon us guide and lead us this next week. And Lord, I pray for our country. I pray for all of our leaders. I pray for each person in this room that we would be people that uh, would allow your Holy Spirit to mold and shape us into somebody that looks more and more like you every day. We pray all this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen.